Mind your speed and your surroundings. Avoid costly collisions. Welcome to the Orbital Sword. Please follow me to the reading room. Three, two, one, engage. Welcome aboard the Orbital Sword. I'm David Bolton. I'm Scott Herzog. And I'm Jim Arrowwood. And on this episode of The Orbital Sword, we're talking about Leviathan Wakes by James S.A. Corey. Uh, this is the <laughs> first novel in the Expanse series. And uh, this covers a lot of, a lot of, I mean, it's a lot of world building, but it's also its own complete story, I felt, um, with openness at the end. Uh, Basically, you follow um, you follow a James Holden. James Holden, who's on a ice ship, ice a ship that gathers ice and brings it back for for planets. I should say Jim Holden. And Jim Holden. Jim. Sorry, and I'll call yeah. him James, but I'm you know, same. Yeah. yeah, and Joe Miller and Joe and yeah, Joe Miller. And so basically, you got the um, Jim Holden kind of uh, sees a uh, plot to start a war. And by proxy, not knowing so, kind of helps facilitate the beginning of the war. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Jim or Joe Holden is a detective trying to solve no, a Joe Miller, but Joe you know, Miller. Yeah, it's all good. you know, Joe. I'm just going to call him Miller. Yeah, so, Miller. That's what they do in the book. Yeah. Miller and Holden. So, so Miller's trying to solve. He's a detective, and he's trying to solve a missing missing person's case. And through a series of twists and turns, these characters kind of come together to. Uh, discover some alien life and stuff so it's pretty interesting right right well that's a uh very uh brief summary it's a very brief very two to three sentence summary that is what it says that. here in our in our notes that's what it says in the show notes but i'm surprised <laughs> you can do it because this book literally we talked about this being the expanse there's it's very expansive yeah it's a, yeah, that was hard i was like deep do i get into it because we're going to get into it so just do the Dune 10 and 10. We'll- <laughs> That's what everybody wants. <laughs> That's right, right. Dune 10 and 10. Yeah. But, oh, very good, very good. Well, thank you uh, for sharing that. So uh, why don't we start by, you know, this is kind of the way we always start a show, but um, it was my first time reading the book. It was not your first time because you had read it. No, it was my first time. Oh, was it? Yeah. All right. And uh, And Jim, was this your first time as well? Yeah, I had never read it before. Oh, very good. Then we're all the Wyeth and Wake Virgins. Great. I thought it was I thought you had read the whole series. Oh uh, no, I never read the whole series. Uh, You're the one that suggested it, I thought. Well, I mean, I think some fans did as well. Okay, so. yeah. Well, yeah. you know, say it was I'm glad they did. I'm yeah. glad they did. So why don't we leap into like overall impressions and thoughts? So first time through the book, let's start with you, David. Um, first time through the book. What were your thoughts? Oh man. I loved it. Hands down. I loved it. I, I I have nitpicky things to talk about. Um, you mean as, we aren't gonna get a rant from the rant master? I don't know that we're gonna get a rant from me. Maybe 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 you can rant on some of the nitpicky stuff just so we don't feel left out. Yeah, we'll have to see how how much I can get worked up. <laughs> yeah, uh, here, here, Jim. Our goal this show is to get David worked up. If you can figure out the things work that, out. that bothered me, <laughs> yeah, work out. Yeah, get the beard going. All right, <laughs> get the beard going. <laughs> Uh, I, I I really like David, this. henceforth known as the Beard. The Beard. Yeah, the Beard. I like that. Okay, I like that too. Um, <laughs> I, I, what I want to say is that a lot of people talk that you'll read things that be like, oh, the reviews will be this is modern classic, modern classic sci fi, whatever. And that's a lot of BS for most of these books. It's just like, you know, people just throwing that around like whatever. But this book. It is a modern classic. Oh, that's BS. I know. No. <laughs> it's subjective. This is totally subjective. But I, I'm calling this book as a modern classic. It's, it's. There's so many things to love about this. More, even more than halfway through the book, I was like, the two storylines you have going on. I would read a book about both of these things, and that could be the whole book. Like he could have made two books here, or turn this into a trilogy where the last part, you know, is is the is the third book, and I would have been happy. But here they are together, and they meld so well. And 
And one of the things that I was just like, uh, this is everything that I love about like sci-fi television where like my favorite sci-fi is like, you know, um, Farscape or Star Trek. I mean, not so Star Trek, but like, um, anything with Jim, he said, Star Trek's not his favorite. No, (laughs) Star Trek's not a good example of this. Um, where it's like a crew forced together. Like then they wind up being a team and like adventures, like this misfits that kind of, and that's what this does so well when they tie these stories together and they kind of become a crew reluctant, but Hey, you know, we're a crew now and this is what we're going to do. And this is how we're going to do. I just, I loved that. Oh, very good. Very good. So I hated the book. Yeah, obviously, <laughs> obviously hated the book. Okay, now that the beard's done, uh, Jim. How about you? What um, what do you think of this book overall impressions? This is your first time reading it, right? Yes, sir. Yeah. So tell me uh, uh, thoughts. In a word, wow. Yeah, you you uh, read this I, sucker in three days, right? I I snagged this thing and I just started reading and I couldn't stop. And every spare minute I had, uh, I'm reading this thing and really enjoying it and uh you know i don't i don't know if there is out there the perfect book but this sure does come close whoa modern classic uh, he I, said it in different words yeah. david yes I mean, honest <laughs> to goodness this is this is hardcore sci-fi goodness i also didn't feel like it was i mean it's hardcore sci-fi but it's also very approachable yeah, uh, he didn't say hard science, right? So I mean, there is there is that element. There's something that's very realistic about this science fiction. And I guess it's plausible. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Because you've got you've got ordinary people out there who have jobs to do yep. under some very difficult conditions, and then you've got looming over all of this. You've got this little political little game going on in the background. And, um, you know, these guys have have the proto-molecule, and those guys don't, and these guys should have it, and they shouldn't, and it's it's really neat. Hmm. Well, uh, my my impressions and thoughts. So... uh, you thought I had read the series. Let me just clarify this a little bit. So I watched season one of The Expanse, mm-hmm. right, which follows this story. Um, and I watched part of season two. Jim, did you watch The Expanse series on TV? Yes, I did. Okay. So I did have elements as I was reading through the book this time where I was saying, oh, where's this happening in the TV series, right? I'm trying to place it throughout the t- uh, thankfully, my mind's terrible enough that I couldn't remember much um, because, it, because the book was absolutely phenomenal. As you guys said on its own right, I almost leapt into the sequel. I said, no, got to wait because, you know, we might read it for next time. Um, but my introduction into Leviathan Wakes was I actually was about two years ago, going through Audible and said, oh, this little book looks good. And it ended up being the fourth book in the Leviathan Wake series. Okay. So I leapt into the series of book four, didn't realize it was book four until I'd finished it and realized there were three more books prior to it. (laughs) So I did find myself at places saying, well, who do we following in that book? Because it had been a while since I'd read it. So I was familiar with the series, but I'd never read this first book and absolutely loved it. I loved the story. I liked the mystery. I liked it. I mean, it was very much of a detective story in one mm-hmm. level um, and uh, dealing with uh, a detective level really from two different avenues of people trying to find out the truth as to what was going on, uh, people that were bouncing kind of innocently in the middle and are trying to somehow stay alive uh, in the midst of it and somehow them meeting up and uh, and people that you aren't sure whether they're good, like Fred Johnson, you aren't really sure what his motive is and everything. Uh, and so I love the ambiguity in that. And uh, I really did enjoy this book. It definitely, yeah, my rating will be high at the end when you, when you <laughs> get to it. So, yeah, so I, I really enjoyed it. And I read it 
I don't know that I read it fairly quickly, but I read it and then I had plenty of time to read through The Martian again and then, you know, read some other stuff. Yeah. So. You mentioned, Jim, how it's, how it's relatable sci-fi, how it's, it's not too deep or maybe it was you who just said that. No, no, that was Jim. Okay. Um, Mm-hmm. And I totally agree. I mean, I loved the fact that it was not like, here's a sci-fi answer for everything. It was still like, there's still things that we acknowledge now as, as modern problems with space travel that would be a problem there. And I think one of my favorite like world-building things was at the beginning when they were talking about the invention of the what a hyperdrive or whatever drive it is they have. They were saying like space travel was... was um, very limited because they couldn't travel fast enough. And then this guy invented this uh, invented this drive, and he and he put it on his his space yacht, and he turned it on, and he's like, they said, and if you look, you can still see him exiting the system because he didn't he didn't obviously figure out how to turn it off or how to steer or anything like that. So he uh-huh. he died on his boat just going, and you can you know it's because space is so big, and you know you can still see him out there. But they said you know. Luckily, he left his plants behind for society to pick up and and recreate. Oh yeah, and make better. And I loved it. I was like, you know, it's it's like if Zephram Cochran would have gotten up and shot into space and just been like, well, he went. He's out there somewhere. You know, he never right. made it back. Well, see, that was one of the first things I noticed reading this book is the lack of inertial dampeners. Mm-hmm. There, you know, in order to make gravity on the ship. They have to move, and if there's if they're not moving, they don't have gravity. And um, when they do want to go very fast, which isn't even close to the speed of light, they have to sit in their couches and get injected with these drugs in their back right. in order to withstand the the g forces that they're going to have from accelerating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. And even those drugs aren't like a perfect answer because, like, you're basically high or passed out afterwards. Yeah, they they make you a mess when he when you have to use them. Yeah, yeah. You know, I I love. I think what you guys are saying is probably what hits me when I read this book is you have the characters that you're following. Okay, we have a ship captain, but he's he's a captain like Jim Holden is a captain of a mining vessel for all time. I mean, he's not. Or a carrier. I guess he's a water carrier is what he's really like. But a water mining carrier. But he's no one big. I mean, right. he's something. He's a small fry when it comes to like the big. And then we have Joe Miller, who is a detective that has some questionable ethics, apparently, in his past. And gets low, let go of his job. He's not trusted. And he gets infatuated with this girl that he's trying to find. But they're very visceral. They're very human. Um, they definitely both have their weaknesses, and uh, they don't. They don't come across of somehow as finding it all together. And I like that. I like that part of it that we have that sort of feel to it. I think that makes yeah. it gives it gives it very much a a verisimilitude that I can uh, that I can buy into. Well, Holden is a is a first officer on the Canterbury, not, not, not the commander. True. And, and true. You're right. I'm thinking of him because most of it takes place. I mean, the Canterbury gets, gets shot off at the beginning. And so we see him basically as a captain of his own ship. I think is yeah. And that's probably why I'm thinking it, but you're right. He's not even a superior officer. He's like a junior officer. Yeah. So yeah, he wouldn't, well, he wouldn't even be a, a captain probably if he had not, been in the uh, in the navy prior to going to work on the on the ice carrier, right, yeah. right. And even in the beginning, he's talking about quitting, for right, the girl. right. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, you're right. It, 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 you know, that's and this is this is really Jim Holden. You know, we're kind of talking about Jim right now, yeah. which is maybe appropriate. We're leading into your next segment, Jim, on characters. But you know, Jim's kind of this character, and really the crew of what is it the rosadante yeah um they just are kind of stuff just happens to them um whereas with joe 
he's intentionally seeking stuff out. And then yeah. the, and you have those differences, and in the process, they end up meeting. But, like, so they go to investigate the um, – uh, what, what what are they uh, – Investigating there, the uh, the the scopuli, they go to they go to investigate it, and then the Canterbury gets blown up, um, and they're like, "Holy crap!" And then they're giving coordinates. Then she kind of inadvertently blames Mars, you know, whatever. Uh, we find out it was set up, and he, then he's flying out to meet the Doniger, right? And then these ships are pursuing him, and then they get to the Doniger, and all hell breaks loose. And then they're kind of they flee that, and Fred Johnson gives them an. I mean, there's this, but it happens to him. It's not like they're they're just trying to stay alive. They're in the wrong place at the wrong time all the time. Yeah, or the right place at the right time, depending on how you view it. True. But for them, but, you know, for them, I'm sure it's Hold- the wrong place. Yeah, Holden comes across to me as, as kind of, I don't know, self-righteous. A little he bit. Seems to, he seems to be trying to be more than he really he's really ready to be. Yeah, and you know what? He's also, and in that, he is very naive. You see a naivety yeah. in him, and he's like, we should, man, talk about, you know, current issues in our society. We should have open access and sharing of all information. Well, here you see why maybe that's not a great idea, <laughs> you know? No. Uh, you, I mean, <laughs> seriously, you see, uh, Holden's the epitome of why this is a terrible idea, mm-hmm. at, least in this, yeah. at least in this situation. But there is something about him because his crew, Naomi, Alex, and Amos, do follow him, and they are very loyal to him. Oh, yeah. And they do what he asks them to do. No, absolutely. I think he kind of earns it along the way. And probably has earned it. Like, they, yeah. they're loyal from the beginning. Like, this crew that's been working with them, he obviously cares about them. Right, right. Um, I felt that he was a little his his character flaw that he works against and and has to overcome in the story is being too focused in the moment. I mean, what's happening right now? How do I? What do I do? Only only obvious answer is to share it. Like not thinking about sure. Yeah, the ramifications and long term effect. But you and you see that with the way. Even though Naomi brings to his attention like him and women. Beginning of the book is all about leaving for this girl that's just kind of interested, you know. They're just bed buddies. And he's like all into it. But then very qu- as soon as she's out of the picture, very quickly, he's now focused in the moment. He's with Neo- Naomi and he's like in quote unquote in love with her. And even she's like, No, like you go through girls, you know, give it time and we'll see what happens. So Yeah. You, she says, you've got to show me that you're sincere because otherwise I'm not believing it. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, uh, he's definitely, um, so, you know, again, he has flaws, but we, but he's a very likable character. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. And you understand, you understand his moral compass and why he's doing what he's doing, even though, and it makes him seem like a saint to some degree. It's compass is almost too strong. Yeah. Yeah. And everyone is calling him, always calling him out on that. Well. Even his own crew, but they're like, you know, but you're the captain. We'll follow you. Right. Your lead, even though, you know, whatever you want to do. I think you especially see that in the sequence when, um, when they off, uh, when they off Dresden. Oh. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that, that really highlights because Holden's, absolutely pissed at joe that joe that that miller did this mm-hmm. um and uh and and that he carries a grudge for quite some time through yeah. the rest of the novel regarding that but yeah as a reader it's like we know joe did the right thing we do because you as a reader we're getting all this info inside to everyone's thoughts and how dresden's like already manipulating everyone in the room, and Joe's the only one who's just like, "Nope," and just. Well, Joe Joe knows he's being manipulated. Yeah, and everyone else, and everyone else is kind of turning a little bit, and and then Joe points that out. He's like, you know, he had to convince these people to do this stuff, right? You know, he didn't if just he had do a, it. if he had enough power to convince nations to go along with this, 
how in the hell is their little bandit going to resist? Right. Right. So, but at the time, well, see, he didn't know that. Joe is really very pragmatic. Absolutely. And he can, he can see the big picture and he can see what's going to happen down the road. And he listened to Dresden, who is obviously a megalomaniac. Oh, yeah. And, and it's like, this guy's got to go. And at this point in the book, when we got there, and Miller put a bullet in this guy and then finished him off to make sure he was gone. After telling everybody that, hey, I hired these people specifically because they're all sociopaths. Oh, no, he turned them into sociopaths. Right. Well, he, 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 I, what, he took something out of their brain or altered something yeah. genetically that made them sociopaths. Right. So, yeah. So this guy, this guy is stark raving nuts, and he needed to be put down. Because it didn't matter to him what happened to anybody, specifically as long as he could be the big savior to transform the human race into something they aren't. Yeah. Well, he's he's and, a little bit. He comes across a little bit like um, oh um, Thanos, you know, <laughs> who is wiping out half the population to save the human race. And they kind of that same sort of, <laughs> there's that same sort of vibe that's kind of playing out in this book. Well, if we have to kill a bunch of them to advance, yeah, you know? Yeah. I like that yeah. as the quote unquote supervillain of the, of the book, you know, a lot of times you have these supervillains who are like, how, where are the henchmen come from? Like, why would they do that? And, and other than the military people who were military, he was like, oh, yeah, yeah, no, no, normal people wouldn't go along with this. We had to turn these scientists into sociopaths and then and then learn how to, like, uh, push them to make them be productive. And uh, I thought that was really an interesting way to go about things. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Joe Miller, he was my favorite character because he had both feet on the ground most of the time, yes. except when it came to Julie. Yeah, and Julie, he makes decisions that are not so much feet on the ground decisions. No, but at the same time, he was assigned this job to do. And then they took it away from him. And it's like, the job is not finished yet. Right. And he was, he believed enough in what he was doing and what he had learned along with, uh, falling in love with the idea of Julie Right. That that he was going to see it to the end. You know, this whole falling in love with the idea of a person was very pronounced throughout this. And you kind of and um and how and I like how so he you know goes through her stuff and sees like pictures, but no real video, and how when he actually sees video then in the scopuli, they're going through the video archives of it, and they see her in action like, well, it's Julie, but a little bit different. And then there's that, you know, imaginary imaginary friend Julie that keeps popping into Miller's head, right? Um, mm -hmm. And then there's a Julie that we meet on the arrows, right? right. Um, that is also just a little bit. Yeah. I think, I mean, you say that he, he did fall in love with the imaginary Julie, but I think it goes back to what you said, that his inability to let go of things isn't just because of the mystery here. I think it's a deeper thing because if you, if you take a good look at it, he couldn't let go of his marriage and he imagined his wife the same way, his ex-wife the same way he imagined Julie. Then he's given something else to sink his teeth into. It's something new to not let go of. And he starts imagining her instead of his wife. And he just gets fixated right. on this thing that he can't let go of. Cause it's not over. Just like in his mind, his Right. Marriage wasn't over. It saves Earth in the process. Yeah. But as we go along, her mystery is somewhat solved. And he starts, at the, very close to the end, he starts imagining Holden. Or, um, yeah, he starts imagining Holden instead of Julie. And, the, and that thing that he can't let go of, that idea that he, he his, his missed opportunity to become, to stay as part of the crew because right. he killed uh, what's his mm -hmm. name? Yeah, and, and he comes to a decision. Instead of Julie, he has the imaginary Holden telling him what to do. So, well, in the end, it doesn't matter. So, uh, 
question is, if we read the sequel, will we see Joe Miller? Who knows? He's not really dead. I'm sure the proto, well, I mean, we'll see. He'll be proto Miller. Yeah, depends on. Well, hey, spoiler alert. (laughs) I don't know. I haven't, I don't know the answer. I'm just like it. Well, he's a central character, but go ahead, Jim. Spoiler alert. He does come back in, in uh, Expanse. Miller does. Well, I, and I think that he's a central. I think the way that James Corey's written these books, I think that Miller continues to come back. Okay. Well, and but only in in the Expanse, he is in Holden's mind, right? And and he's telling Holden these things that are that are going on, but it but they're so they're couched in riddles. And and metaphors and things like that, and Holden doesn't get it for a long time, and uh, he even gets caught talking to Miller a few times by by the other crew members who just kind of look at him like, okay, well, Holden's done going around the bend. What do we do now? <laughs> it's like a Scorpius. Um, well, you yeah. know, it's uh, it, it'll it'll be interesting to see. Uh, we're, we're I mean, I'm really hoping that we get a chance to read the second book. Yeah. Um, and if we don't do it for the podcast, I'm reading the second. So give it, Same give here. it to our next sci-fi vote. Okay, we'll give it to the next sci-fi vote. But yes. hey, to be honest, if I read it, I'll read it. So it's not a big deal. I, I enjoyed it. I almost went back and reread this book because I had enough to do it. <laughs> but I ended up not doing it. But Yeah, so Jim. Uh, so we talked about Jim and Joe. Uh, Jim Holden, Joe Miller. Uh, any other crew in particular that stand out to you guys? I feel like... Naomi is a, is a central character, except for I feel if I, if you go off the commercials for the TV show, I thought she was the main character. So uh, I I don't know if she becomes more even more prominent as time goes on, but uh, I I felt like she was she, I mean she was well written and and she did well as a female character. It wasn't she wasn't a, I didn't feel object, objectified or shoved to the side really she was very prominent but um I great 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 karaoke singer i mean what stellar karaoke singer. <laughs> well she's very important to the ship because she fixes things she yeah. does she knows how to get she knows how to get things fixed and uh she's a really good engineer and without her they'd have been up the creek a few times yeah. You know, we, we we and maybe that that's important to note with 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 Holland as captain, and she's like the fix it guy, and then we have like the military guy, which I believe is that Amos. That's the military guy. Uh, yeah, he's yeah. he's kind of he's kind of military. Yeah, he's not military, but he like he, he's a shoot. He's the guy that shoots stuff. Uh, yeah. And then we have Alex, who's kind of engine, right? Mm-hmm. So they each have like yeah, he's the pilot. Yeah. He, they have each they have each of their very distinct roles and they're really good at what they do. Right. And then there's mm-hmm. Shed, who was the Doctor. Doctor in training, yeah. not really a doctor. And I like the way that I mean he you know, he got killed, but I like the way that that happened um at a, at a time when he felt like anyone was expendable. Yeah. Uh, and and you get to see how that affects them going forward. Now fortunately they have the autodoc, so uh, they're they're able to keep on going even when they get injured, which they seem to do once in a while. Well, the auto dock was in the uh, in the Martian ship they sold, right? Or they escaped yes. in. Um. Uh, yeah. So, uh, anyone in Miller's uh, circle of friends that we should talk? We talked about Julie a little bit. Um, Captain Shadid. Yeah, or shadid, or I'm not sure how to say it. Boy, I'll tell you what. Pardon the expression, but she was a real ball buster. I was going to yeah. say prick, but you know whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, his initial story was very noir, and I really liked that. Yes, very well put, uh-huh. David. I like that. I, that's why yeah. I was like, so hanging in an alley book. with a Dave, and I would. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and then that hat. Yeah, his hat. Everybody had to remark about the hat. You know, I think I kept picturing him as being that kind of detective, you know, type of thing. Yeah. Actually, I picture Mm -hmm. the actor that plays him more than I picture the actual story. (laughs) Because 
That lanky, you know, that lanky I, guy that plays him. I liked Miller in the book better than I liked Miller on the TV show. Mm. Well, again, it's been a while since I've read, but I do like Miller. I do like Miller in the book. Mm-hmm. When an Anderson Dawes, that's his partner, right? Yeah, I liked him. Yeah, he was good. I thought it was a it was a cool. I mean, they used him as a foil to show the difference between right, and also used him as like uh, a convenience, like someone that can get them into the uh, aero station, right? You know, yeah. But so the only person we haven't talked about is the butcher of Toshi Station, Redo, <laughs> Red Johnson, Red Johnson. Yeah, I think there's going to be more. Tyco, it was a butcher of Tyco. No, Toshi Station. What what station was it? I think it was Tyco. Wasn't it Tyco? I don't know. What's I don't up? remember. But anyways, yeah, he was he was a butcher of something. He was a butcher yeah. of some station. But, <laughs> um, but he uh, he he had a lot of guilt, so he gave up his um his commission uh in in the American or american in the butcher earth forces of, yeah butcher anderson station i'm sorry anderson kevin there J. You anderson go. Station. yeah kevin, <laughs> sorry kevin J. anderson for listening to the podcast <laughs> <laughs> anyway he uh he he felt guilty and then he turns around and winds up becoming the de facto leader for the people in the belt because apparently his communication skills are a lot better than the other people in the belt. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, he, he knew, speaks earth better. Yeah. Well, yeah. Cause the people in the belt kind of talk the OPA, uh, right? funny kind of Creole. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's going to be interesting seeing him go forward as the, president or whatever he is just because he since we have established him as a character he doesn't seem like an unapproachable political character he seems like this this general that's now in this upper echelon position he does but of the Mm -hmm. character of these characters we've been talking about he's the one that we know the least about true except for maybe dolls we don't know much about dolls either but Fred Johnson, we know him initially as a voice in the radio and the perceptions of, you know, Jim and Joe, they have of this guy. We really don't get, and that's important too. The story's told from Jim's perspective, from Miller's, and from Holden's perspective the whole way through. Until the very Uh end, last chapter, we get Fred's perspective. Right. So until then, we haven't really gotten to know Fred, but. It does indicate that in the next book, Fred becomes more of a central character. Well, see what we've got. What we've got going on politically is we have Earth and we have Mars, and Mars is outgrowing being controlled by Earth. They have their own forces. They have everything, so it's kind of an equal thing. And now we're going to wind up with a power struggle between Earth and Mars. Who controls the belt where all the resources are coming from because there's nothing left on Earth. Right. And the belt wants to and be so, independent. Yeah, we have the belters, right? Yeah. And then we have the OPA, right. which is like the outer planet. And Fred, I think, is going to step in as time goes on and solidify the belter's position. I mean, he already he already does that. When he uh, dispatches that uh, generational ship and repurposes it and sends it out to deflect uh, the ship Miller is on, I here's my thing with him is like, again like uh, what Scott was saying how you know he was a back a side character and then at the end we got to see him in his his uh, position and I read. That whole last chapter, imagining him as Avery Brooks, you know, as Cisco, it's what uh, kind of reminded me of like a Cisco type character. Of, of, Fred Johnson, you mean? Yeah, yeah. Fred def- like I Avery, definitely see that. Yeah, I definitely see that. Uh, especially like the there's a very famous DS9 episode where he, uh, he's giving a log about 
all these horrible <laughs> things he has to do. To Best keep... episode of television ever. Yeah. And <laughs> he's just like erased slog. You know, this never happened. Um, so I think unless they do something drastic, that's how I'm going to imagine him. <laughs> <laughs> that episode was called In the Pale Moonlight, by the way. Okay. Yeah. It just, it struck me, but yeah. yeah. It's a famous one, so I'm not surprised you know. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, he's going, he is going to have to, Fred Johnson is going to have to come up with a very large bargaining chip in order to assert the power that he wants to assert. Well, he's got it. He's got the proto-molecule. Everybody's got the proto-molecule. Well, he's got the one in the safe. Right. The pure one. Yeah, all no. And Mars has a proto molecule. Earth has a proto molecule, and the belt has the proto molecule. And there's going to have to be something is going to have to tip in favor of Fred Johnson in order for him to to escalate and assert himself more. Back back up a second, because I, I didn't read it that way at all. I mean, I read it as because they took over the space station, like the. the EOP or whatever it's called, the Fred's team took over the the experimental station. Right. Fred's team has the vault from the ship with the proto molecule and the testing in it. And right. The uh, rest of the proto molecule stuff is on Venus. Right. So everyone else doesn't have. The proto molecule, unless they go to Venus for it, which something's happening in Venus. Something's happening. So I, I, I read it as the only reason that he's getting all the attention at the end, where he's basically like because he has leverage sealing. It's because of the leverage he has of mm-hmm. having the only viable proto molecule sample. That's how I mean. That's how I read it. Is that how you read it, Scott? Yeah. Yeah. That was my understanding. That was my understanding is that people are coming because of it. Yeah. Um, now he is a spokesperson. I mean, he has. He was at one time a famed speaker and kind of is the outs, but but he does have leverage, and people are coming because of because I think it indicates that. Yeah, because he has the proto Because that's. I mean, he got that power because he traded Holden for for it there at the to to move the. The nukes. Yeah, the nukes going in kind of circuitous. Yeah. Yeah. We shut Jim down. I'm sorry, Jim. Forgive us. No worries. (laughs) No worries. (laughs) Nah. Nah. (laughs) What was your theory on it, Jim? You you had a slightly different perspective on it. Well, you know, the Belters have been, are not equals to earth or mars that's true and they don't have the they don't have the navy they don't have the fleet that it takes to assert themselves the way they they want to to get an equal share and that's kind of where i'm coming from is that now fred is going to he's he's going to start building something up so that they can start saying okay we want our part too well, I think there's well, and I and I think that that's probably not any any different than what we're at. People are listening to Fred Johnson now because he has the proto molecule. He obviously represents the OPA, the Outer Planet Alliance. Maybe the Belders are a part of that. Um, he's definitely bringing as a spokesperson and having that. He's definitely bringing them to the attention and giving some equal footing. Yeah. I so I, like, and, I, well, and, I, and I and I would agree. So I would agree with what you're saying, Jim, as well as kind of the perspective that we're sharing. Yeah, yeah, he's well known. Fred Johnson is infamously so. so but yeah, yeah. So once he consolidates his power, it's going to be very interesting to see uh, see the Belters come to the table and with with a stronger position to negotiate for their equality yeah no i hear you yeah yeah i hear you so who else do we have to talk about yet 
Are we good? We want to talk about. Well, those are the main characters. Yeah, we, we did talk. We talked about Dresden. Yeah, he was a jerk. Yeah. But, <laughs> um. So we talked a little bit about. We did mention the Canterbury, who's really just. It really starts the ball rolling when that event happens. Story takes off, right? Right. Yeah. Um. And then oh, the, the Scopuli is yeah. kind of. They're seeking the Scopuli. Um, it's more of a set piece. Than yes, else. It, it is like that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I don't know that I have much to say about any of these things. And we did talk about some of the organizations as well. Um, Do we want to talk about the protomolecule? Yeah, and it, with that protogen, I guess, it's part of that. But protomolecule, what? They discover alien life on some moon of Saturn. Is that right? They discover alien life on an asteroid that was headed. Phoebe. What's that? I think it's called Phoebe. Yeah, Phoebe. Yes. An asteroid that that got caught in gravity and missed its mark. Right. And that they assume was headed to Earth. Right. Forever ago and didn't make it. And it got caught in the sun's gravity. Um, and they used it on a couple different things, and now they are experimenting large scale on humans. Yes. Um, so it's excited. This protomolecule is excited by radiation, and uh, they, of course, on aerostation, make this a uh, make the human experiment go. And this is all run by, of course, we talked about Dresden and his group of protogen. Yeah. Who he is somehow conned these scientists and many uh, influential people both on Earth and Mars to buy into this. That it could be the next evolutionary step. Yes. A missed opportunity. Right. Uh, Going to get them out of the system. But they don't know what it does because it needs more mass. We don't. They don't see the end. Yeah. And we so, really don't see the end. Although we no. see it gain power to man. When we, when they start moving aerostation, yeah, I was like, oh, yeah, yeah I was like, hold it, it somehow oh, hell's has, gonna break loose. The proto molecule doesn't follow our idea of physics and the in what it can do. Energy, as far as energy conversion, right? And, um, but what cells need to survive, right? That kind of stuff, definitely. It's not like, I mean, it, it only spreads through touch, so it's not like it's airborne or anything. And it was interesting, too, is, so initially you see aerostation heading to Earth. And you say, oh, well, the protomolecule's just uh, resuming its uh, directive, right? And then you find out, well, it's Julie Mao that's actually directing, and all she wants to do is get home. Well, she does say, when he's convincing her to change source, course, it doesn't want to change course. Uh, and he's like, you've got to convince it to go to Venus. And she's like, uh, but it really wants, it doesn't want. Yeah. So I think it's it's a mixture of using her. She was still like the quote unquote hive mind or whatever. But right. it's programming. Was the queen there. of the Borg. Yeah. The Borg queen. Which we are verging very close <laughs> on my sub rant for this book. <laughs> okay. So uh, cue sub rant go. David. Are you ready, Jim? Jim, are we ready? Okay. Hey, cue, cue, cue the loot music. We're ready to go. <laughs> Here, my biggest issue with this book, and I think this book is is damn fantastic, but my biggest problem with this is that a lot of the ideas and um, plot lines are recycled things. And some of these things I went, I was like, what? And then I went and looked it up, and I was like, this kid, did, did this copy this? Or... Or am I just, you know, that was just the first thing I was exposed to. And then I went back and it's, this book came after the things that, like, I'm thinking. So basically, the whole story of the proto-molecule is almost exactly like Halo and the Flood. It's, it's like, the exact same premise of, like, a, of like a well, it's not, in the, in the, in Halo, it's more of a symbiote, symbiotic uh, thing with the flood but basically you know they it hijacks the body and then it it uses the body to reproduce into other bodies and then it reforms them to 
form tasks. And then when it builds enough mass, it makes like a centralized hive mind creature that has uh, out of human abilities like telepathy and, and, and uh, energy manipulation. And I'm like, is this seriously what this is, what's happening here? Um, I didn't like that he called the the creatures vomit monsters or vomit zombies. <laughs> I felt like he could have been like, oh, these people are just compelled. Like, they weren't really zombies at that point. They were just compelled to, like, throw up on anything that got near him. Because even at the one point, they were being chased by one and they outran it. And they said they heard him kneeling in the, in the, uh, kneeling in the corridor crying when they got away from him. Like, the guy was kind of still alive. He just was compelled. Like, so just the word zombie seemed really cliche there. Um, that was my biggest thing. Just a, a lot of ropes of, of that kind of stuff happening. I, I can't, I thought of a, another example earlier when we were talking. I can't think of it now. Just like things that were used in other stories that came before this that he perfectly worked into this to a way that is really not a big deal. But in my nitpicky brain, I was like, uh, you know, I kind of know where this is going because this is uh, a used thing. Like, I maybe down the road, because it's obviously many, many books long. I'm sure the story will deviate enough that it won't be anything similar whatsoever to to what I um, referenced from. But at this point, I was just like, couldn't, he, couldn't it be something different? Like, why does it have to be zombies? Why does it have to be the flood or the proto-molecule, you know? Uh, why does it have to be the grave mind or Julie in, in this instance? So that was my, my small rant. I mean, and all that said, I love the book. Fantastic, but... Well, I mean, I think it's hard to divorce things that we've become so well known in science fiction. It's hard. It's easy to look at things saying we're looking for truly an original idea, right? And it's very difficult to do that. But I think the way that James Court packages it feels very raw and yeah. Um, and so yes, I, I mean. If you compare this to like Redemption Arc by Alistair Ren uh, Reynolds, Jim, did you ever read that book? No, I never have. But in a similar concept settings has um, say like similar groups of characters, even a character with the same role, the Butcher of Tharsis is in it, um, and includes an alien plague taking over a ship and someone integrating with it. I mean, there's some similar concepts. You can yeah. say, "Well, look, he's just ripping out and." If he is truly a science fiction fan, which I assume James Corey is, yeah. he's going to be familiar with these things. Even if, even if he didn't go directly from the book, these things are going to influence his writing. And there's no doubt that – and so I hear what you're saying. I hear what you're saying. Yeah. Does it bother me? No. It, it is a, it, it's a very tiny rant. It's just it happens a lot in this, in this book, enough for me to be like, ah, it's just happening. Not enough for me to dislike it. He and not en these, and not enough to take you out of the world. Uh, no, no. He crafts these things into his story so well, so perfectly. I mean, it's a difference between like, you know, maybe maybe Aragon is a good example where people are like, oh, this is just a mishmash of of other stories, and and in a lot of ways it was, uh, and and you can very well see it, and it feels like that. Even though this feels like a mishmash of those things, like it's it's done so well, it feels like its own thing. Like at the end of the day, you're like, that's this is the expanse. It's this thing. Like I'm not going to open up uh, talking about the expanse, saying, "Hey, are you familiar with X Y Z story?" It's kind of like that. I, I I wouldn't have. I would have to. It would only be after I knew somebody who was familiar with the story that I could be like, "Hey, this is just like." Yeah, when you're discussing the book and you want to pull it apart, it makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Any additional thoughts on David's rant, Jim? Well, I'll tell you what. When it comes right down to it, and Scott, you're an English teacher, so you know the basic conflicts that take place in stories: man versus man, man versus nature, and and so forth and so on. When you come right down to it, everything that's written is a manipulation of elements like that. Oh, yeah. 
And so I think the challenge for an author, and, and, and David's acknowledged this, and so did you, Scott. The challenge for an author is to package it in such a way that it feels new and it's interesting. And I think that's what the authors did. By the way, uh, James S.A. Corey is a pseudonym for a couple of guys, actually, Daniel Abraham and Ty Frank. Uh, just, just thought I'd point that out. Yeah. So they themselves are have been taken over by a proto molecule and True. formed into one mega author. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Well, I think um where are we at here? Yeah, there 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 we are at. Well we are we are running about a fifty minutes here. We can begin to work our way through some of the uh yeah. other things that we have to talk about in the show. Let me go back to my show notes here. Yeah. So organizations, um, any any other favorite points of plot? Hmm. Hmm. Oh, team Miller, team Miller, all the way. Oh, team Miller. Team I don't. Miller. I don't know <laughs> when Holden though, when they go in to attack um, with a Tycho station, right? When they uh-huh. go secretly uh-huh. and they like, shut off all electronics and they get blasted and they. They end up, you know, taking down uh, Dresden's station. Uh-huh. I thought that was very cool. The way they went in and uh-huh. yeah, yeah. But I like their ship a lot. It reminds me of like the Outlaw Star from Outlaw Star. Okay, the anime. Yes. Um. Um. Uh, let's see. What other parts did I like? I don't know. I like when they like divert the nukes, and I, you know, there there yeah. there's so many points that I like along the way that they did. They escape out of um, when they when they're when they're on the Doniger, and they're escaping that. Mm. I thought that that was kind of cool. I really liked the the, the storyline of them uh, escaping what the station that was infected and they had the radiation poison oh yeah and, and then having to deal with that yeah and how that's like a continual problem right. for the rest of their lives well not for miller well yeah he still has to take the pills now that he's a proto-molecule oh well yeah. come on yeah. it's proto-miller he's, proto-miller. he's like he's like proto-miller he's now no longer that's true the virus took care of it there you go <laughs> um um I think we all agreed that Dresden needed to be shot. Yeah. There's no discussion. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, right, we can probably move on to yeah, the, so, closing uh, thoughts. Yeah, so closing thoughts. Let's, uh, let's uh, go ahead and lead us into that. Yeah. Okay, so let's uh, wrap up with overall, like, final spiel on the book as well as your rating. Let's start with you, Scott. Ooh, okay. Um I really enjoyed this book. I think okay. I might have to give this. This might have to be a um, <clears throat> five Rosinantes out of five. Wow! Yeah, I really like this book. It was, it was, it was well packaged. The store, the characters were interesting. Um, there are very few characters that I felt like I could have done away with. One of them being Miller's partner. Who I liked, but just he didn't know enough about, yeah. and he was there to kind of really draw out Miller, which he did. Um, I liked the characters, I liked the ships, I liked the 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 reality, the, the the realness of it that it at least felt believable. You know, whether this was actual science and would actually work in space, who knows? But I liked I liked that, and so my final thoughts: Will I read the sequel? Absolutely. Whether we read it on the podcast or not. It's it's in my queue. Okay, so five out of five. And okay, and I'll add this to to. to, Would you recommend it to a sci-fi reader, and would you recommend it to a non-sci-fi reader? I would recommend it different ways. So I'd recommend it to a sci-fi. I'd recommend to a sci-fi reader as this is a modern classic. (laughs) No, I don't know if I'd use those words, but I would. I would definitely. It's definitely. 
out of the books that I've read that have come out, it would be of the books that have come out the past ten years. This would be in my top. Mm-hmm. Um, also in my top five would be The Martian. Right. I think you have to read The Martian, and Ready Player One would also be there. And uh, and this would be another one of those that would be right there in my top. You could help sell it by saying David Moulton hails this as a modern classic. Yes, yes. Ooh, like, all right. yeah. And to, to a non-sci-fi <laughs> person, I would say that this is that while this is a science fiction novel, this is really a mystery. Yeah, because that's the way it feels to me—a mystery of like figuring out who done it, who's behind it, and then how do we stop this? Yeah. So it's, I would hail it that way. Yeah. Yeah. So those are my thoughts. Okay, Jimbo, it's your turn, man. Yo, yeah, I would, I would um, say that I really enjoyed the way they handled physics in this book. That it it seemed it made it seem more real, and for me, and uh, you know, in rather than the Deus Machina of of inventing something just to explain it away, so you don't have to deal with it. Mm-hmm kind of thing um the characters had a lot of depth and even some of the minor characters or the ones that were less important like alex amos naomi uh they had they had depth and they were they became people that i could really actually care about you know yeah uh joe joe miller he's my favorite character hands down i mean he was your uh, typical, as you said, David Noir gumshoe <laughs> out there, you know, uh, beating the bushes, trying to get the clues and figure out what was going on. Uh, and he got himself fired because of what he believed in and he wasn't going to give up on it. So I, I really admired him. Would I recommend this? Yes, I would recommend it uh, as a great science fiction story. And to someone who doesn't, who hasn't read science fiction, I would say that maybe this would be a really good gateway book. I would agree with to you. Maybe, yeah. To maybe get them interested in it because the, it's just such a good story. And uh, to me, I, I would have to say that I didn't, I didn't find a whole lot of plot holes in it. Um, and I, I'm going to call this a five out of five easy. Ooh, let's hear that. Two five out of fives. Wow. Do you know one of the things that would make the character Naomi pop just a little bit more? What's that? Especially when she's singing karaoke. If she was accompanied by Jim playing the lute. Jim playing the lute. That, that would be like <laughs> perfect. Especially if he was if he was playing uh, Hopeless Whisper <laughs> on the lute. <laughs> Wait, do you know, uh, in all seriousness, though, um, I like the way they describe Naomi. In that we have all these cultures that have kind of meshed together, mm-hmm. all blended together. And they do kind of talk about that in the book, and both in the music and then also in the ethnic features, especially of Naomi, where they're trying to figure her out. Yeah. But, but definitely accompanied by the loot. Go, go ahead. So, uh, and here you go, guys, for the cover of your of your book. David Moulton Hills, this is a modern classic. That's right. Um, That's right. I, <laughs> I think I'm, I I loved I loved the book. I think a lot of the points that you guys made were great. Um, to just add to it, you were saying the characters had depth. Characters not only have depth, they change. That's you just they're dynamic. See that some of the books we read, the characters never like grow. I mean, they they find an archetype and like they're just stuck there. But like these these characters, they I mean, it's not like they leave their archetype, but they still grow and. And they feel real and relatable. Um, yeah, I, 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 I also very much agree as far as who I'd recommend this book to. Anyone who reads sci-fi, I would tell them, you need to read this, and then I'd start telling them about it. it would, excuse me, it would be a struggle to not like overboard them with the info on book and on why they should read them. To someone who's not a science fiction necessarily fan, like, like particularly, I'm probably going to recommend this to my mother i'm gonna it'll i would be selling her on the mystery right of of because she likes right. the noir feel i'm right with you i loved miller I, I he was 
he was my favorite character up until towards the end where he became kind of really mentally disabled um, in, in just kind of like lost in his dilute after he had killed Dresden and uh, Holden kind of let him go and that kind of stuff. That, then I was a little less uh, interested in him, but uh, I loved it. And I would give it five out of five uncomfortable comments from Naomi about Holden's butt. i've seen the call a couple times (laughs) that did that did indeed well for next time so uh we want you to get out there and vote 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 so first of all we are going to be reading for next time running with the demon it is the night of the word series or word of the night of the word right series Uh, or word word of the word in the void series word of the void yeah so um, and it is the first. So we read Genesis Shannara. This is actually the first book yeah. in the entire Shannara series that we're going to be reading for the next time. Um, and we've also kind of decided as a crew that what we're going to do is we're going to read fantasy one month and just put all fantasy votes up there. And then the next month's going to be all sci-fi. So our poll for next this next month is going to be the following books, and they're all sci-fi. And then next month, we'll put the sequel to uh, Running with the Demon up, as well as some other fantasy books. And so that way, it feels like we're going to be doing both, because we like reading both, and we want to read both. But here's our list for next month. We're going to be reading, we're going to throw up there to be voted on, Thrawn Alliances. It's a sequel to Thrawn, which you read in the show. Uh, Caliban's War, which is a sequel to Leviathan Wakes. The Strain, which is not a sequel to anything. No. Um, and Hyperion, which is the first book of a trilogy yeah. by the, Dan Simmons. The Strain is the first book of a trilogy as well. Okay. And who's the, who's the Strain by? Uh, Guillermo del Toro and Chuck Holt. Or Chuck oh, there you go. Something. Yeah. yeah. All right. Very good. So, yeah. So, these are the books you're going to be voting on for the next time. Yeah. And, again, we are reading Running with the Demon. Yeah. For this next the next show. Yeah. So get out to the website and vote. It's orbitalsword.com. Right. Click on the decide what we read tab and uh you can head over there and, and lay down your vote for the next book. Uh also if you want to tell us what you thought of Leviathan Wakes or any previous book we've read or upcoming book. Up, yeah. Please email us, Dune Saga Podcast. At, um, excuse or, me? Whoa. Well, you can email the Dune Saga Podcast. We still monitor it. Yeah, we still but... monitor it. Orbital Sword at gmail.com the orbital sword at gmail.com we also have a voicemail it's uh one tick one two six oh five seven seven chat that's one two six oh five seven seven two four two eight leave us a voicemail there and we'll play it on the show uh contact us at at orbital sword on twitter or uh hit us up on facebook yeah um, either one of those places you can yeah. get a hold of us and share your thoughts if you send in an audio, we'll play audio. If you want to send in a written review, we'll share that as well. Yeah, and we want to say a special thanks to our Patreon supporters. Absolutely. You can always support us on Patreon. Yeah, patreon.com slash the orbital sword. Go. Sounds fantastic. So, once again for the orbital sword, I'm David Moulton. I'm Scott Herzog. And I'm Jim Arrowwood. And join us next time on board the orbital sword.